Please pardon our dust, but we are under construction for a few weeks and we'll have to be releasing some older episodes that were some of our favorites getting ready for Halloween. And if you don't like the weather, well, blame it on the weather, which is our next favorite episode coming right up. Come gather around the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. My story starts with, it's a dark and stormy night. No, no, seriously, besides the cliche of bad writing, I do think I can smell a storm brewing. Let's hope the campfire stays strong. So we've talked a lot about how paranormal activity seems to be most activated by water, electrical activity. Yeah. And recently my friend sent me just the weirdest video of a storm that I've ever seen. And it was filmed in Texas. Oh, okay. This man um, on YouTube filmed about a half hour footage and of this terrible shrieking noises emanating from the sky. (laughs) Oh, shit. And it was just this gigantic storm cloud above his home. But it was so scary. He actually... During the storm, he leaves his apartment to go out and see if he can locate the source. Mm -hmm. And I can only describe the sound as what maybe a banshee would sound like. (laughs) Can you do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just, I think, I don't know if we can even play part of it for our audience, um, but it was so scary. It This screaming goes on and on and on, and it made me just want to research more stories on this. Tornadoes can cause shrieking, especially once they hit the ground, but this particular event had no funnel cloud or tornado present. As a matter of fact, I don't even think it was an electrical storm either at the point of his filming. So what I'll do is I'll link um, a video also in our podcast credit so our listeners can tell us what they think it might be. Oh, that's a good idea. I vote for an alien battle or maybe that dragon figure in heaven getting annihilated by Michael and his holy angels. Isn't that supposed to be a thing in the end times? Probably. It sounds it sounds like it would be in Revelations. Yeah. Well, all I know is someone is being tortured in the sky. So my story today is on weather witches and storm phantoms. Nice. High five. Boom. (laughs) We missed. Okay. We missed. (laughs) And uh, and, um, Josh is bringing the storm. Bring it. Come on, bring it. Riders in the sky. No, no, that's going to be be next. That song was made famous by Johnny Cash, but did you know it was based on a true story? No. Oh, my God. That's cool. Yeah. So this legend is sadly a true tale, and it took place in Crosby County, Texas. It starts out with the weather being a bit dicey, and a group of cowboys were doing a cattle drive through this area. However, because of the nasty storm approaching, the herd had become a bit anxious. It was getting late, and they had one more steep slope to climb in order to make camp and get some water for the next day's ride. 
The leader of the group, Sawyer, rode ahead to make sure there wasn't any danger to the herd. He was upset to see that a brand new homestead, though, had been built blocking his cattle from crossing their usual path. Being a bit tired and testy, he became infuriated with the situation because it would take them hours to go around the home. He basically threw a huge tantrum, started dancing around, cussing at the storm and the house. He waved a horse blanket all around in the air, creating a stampede. And the cattle scattered, and most of the horses also took off with the riders still in the saddle. And because now the storm was in full force, the lightning bolts flashing, they couldn't steer them with any control and couldn't see where they were going. Almost all of the livestock ran through the homestead, crushing everyone inside, including the building. The storm at this point was adding to the terror by loud thunder and lightning, which made all the cattle keep running until they all plummeted off a nearby cliff, including many of the horses following behind. When daylight came, there was a total of 700 dead steer and many of the riders also perished. Oh, man. It was said that Sawyer never worked again, and he died from consumption from grief. So they didn't throw him in jail after he did that? Mm Mm-mm. Wow. But he didn't get any work. Nobody would hire him. In the following year, another cattle drive took the same route and settled for camp on the same hillside. This time, there was no storm and no homestead left blocking the path of the riders. However, in the early hours of the morning the cattle was spooked again into a stampede resulting in most of the herd and four riders riding off to their deaths on the same cliffs. Wow. This new trail boss was also said to be so overcome with grief, he quit his work and drank himself also to death. Now, despite a rumor that now the location was haunted, several cowboys tried to do a cattle run only to meet with the same fate. No way! So from then on, that part of Texas was avoided by the cattle drivers. And it is said, when the skies become stormy, many people have heard blood-curdling screams and seen apparitions along with the sound of a stampede stomping its way through the sky. And some say that this great energy of anger and outward cursing was amplified by the storm and left a forever curse upon the land and the skies of Crosby County. Oh, I love that. That's a great, that's a great story. That's so, yeah, I had I, no idea that was based on an actual story. I know me either. And I was making the connection because this story that I saw on YouTube about the screaming in the sky reminded me of yeah. that Ghost Riders in yeah. the Sky song. Yeah, yeah. And now I just have to do even more research to see if that incident is in the same area or town of Texas. That would be very interesting. I need to find out. Now, I'm going to investigate the background behind the night the lights went out in Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, now you have to. Because that's probably based on some kind of actual murder. It might be. When the judge in the town has got bloodstains on his hands. So it's well known that many cultures believe the weather is the ultimate power of life or death. Well, besides the sun, right? Right. And if you could control the weather or predict the weather, then you were highly sought after and revered. Many deities were worshipped and given attributes of controlling elements of the weather. Well, like, you know, Zeus, Jupiter, Poseidon, even the Norse god Thor, and Indra, a Hindu storm god. There are so many myths and stories of gods who used weather as divine judgment over humanity, Mm -hmm. including, you know, the famous example of Noah and the Great Flood. Sure. Yep. Well, 
you know, I was thinking that might be why meteorologists are given a lot of leadway because, I mean, come on. It's not like they're gods. Or are they? How do we know they're predicting it and not just creating it? There was a well-known group of weather-making magicians who called themselves the Tempestari and were employed even by members of respected communities in order to protect their agriculture and farms. Back in 815 AD, there was a piece of literature written by a bishop called On Hail and Thunder. And in this article, he complains that people are skimping or reluctant on paying their tithes to the church, but they are willingly able to pay large amounts of money as an insurance policy against the storms to the Tempestari. So these Tempestari were getting quite wealthy, but it was short-lived. And it was a terrible profession to have because if they ever failed in their predictions, unlike meteorologists (laughs) (laughs) or in their control of the storms, these weather magicians were then highly tortured or killed. And the bishop also wrote in these papers that um, prayers were just as effective and they should reallocate their money to the church, saying these magicians or witches got their power to control the weather from the demons. So the most famous storm believed to be caused by this group was recorded in 1591 during the North Berwick Witch Trials. John Fion and his alleged coven of Tempestari were accused of raising a sea storm to drown King James VI and Queen Anne on their way from Denmark. Many peasants who were steeped in superstitious beliefs were reluctant to give up these weather witches it is said that the church had to provide different solutions that they could adopt instead, like giving them charms from flowers blessed on Palm Sunday to place in their crop fields and paying tithes to the church so that they would ring church bells for them in order to keep away the storms. Oh, cool. So there was also a rumor that the Tempestari was connected with a race of mythical beings called cloud dwellers and that they had come from a land called Magonia, meaning land of magic. And then in some versions, it meant land of thieves because it was said they had the ability to sail in the storm clouds and it would hide them from view. And when the Tempestari in France called up storm clouds, these Magonia would ride in and swoop down to steal the corn in the villagers' fields. The bishop claimed in his writings that several of these Magonia were captured and he had to intervene in order to prevent the public from killing them. So he's trying to say that these creatures that came down from the sky to take the corn were captured. Yeah. And that he had to prevent them from being killed by the townspeople. Right. And yet he's okay with them killing the Tempestari because the Tempestari was taking away the funds that should be going to the church. Well, yeah, I understand that. I mean, it's just one philosophical group being at another philosophical group, right? It was so weird. It's also theorized that the hysteria of the Salem witch trials in 1692 might have been partially caused by a severe drop in temperatures. The settlers from Europe still carried with them the belief that these powerful witches could control the weather. And when their crops started to freeze over and the shortage of food became, you know, scarce, it became very convenient to look for a scapegoat for their issues. Emily Oster, an economics graduate student at Harvard, mapped out temperature records against the trial records of the witches decade by decade. <laughs> That's cool. And what she found... She was Harvard? Yeah. And she's, doing and she's studying research? on witches. That's fucking cool. <laughs> um, the single steepest drop 
she said was 1560, and it coincidentally was the year we saw a resurgence in the accusations after a full 70 years of silence in regards to witchcraft. That's very weird. I love that. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. So in researching this, I also came across a strange ball of energy that was often seen after a storm or sometimes before it. And it was rumored to be a spell at work in visual manifestation formed by these witches who were controlling the weather. And these strange occurrences are now called by scientists as an actual phenomenon called ball lightning. These strange glowing balls of energy were seen in various colors of red, orange, blue, green, and yellow. No no purple, though. They were Skittles. They were Skittles. In many cases, these balls of lightning could pass through closed windows or walls. Doesn't it sound like orbs? It does. And I'm thinking that they're not special lightning. I think that they're actual witches. Yeah, well, I mean... The other thing, too, they (laughs) tend to only last for just a few minutes. And for the most part, they disappear quietly without harm. I want to see one. But they do leave a sulfur-like smell. Oh, see, there you go. Mm -hmm. Right there. Yep. And however, it is said that oftentimes the way it travels seems to convey a consciousness or an unpredictable behavior that defies rational explanations. Hmm. There are stories reported of these energy balls exploding and injuring people and causing damage to the surrounding areas, but they're very rare. There was an incident that took place on a Russian airplane in 1984 when passengers spotted a glowing ball outside the plane and then saw it disappear and then pop back up inside the plane. And then this ball split into two balls. And the two balls started bouncing. No kidding. And then the two balls exited the tail of the plane, damaging the metal fuselage as it passed. And scientists and meteorologists all have their own explanation as to what these glowing balls are made from. What are they? What do they think? Well, the only thing they can guess is that either it's an optical illusion or some say atmospheric gases. And some feel it might be clouds of burning silicon. So there's an old theory that these fireballs were an essence of a spirit, like fairies that lived in them or something whose appearance was a sign that someone was going to die soon. Oh, my God. Did that plane crash? No, it it survived. Oh, wow. But it it left the plane. Okay. But it damaged, you said it damaged the tail end. The fuselage, yeah. yeah. Shit. Some think they are fairies or directed by witches, which explain why they carefully move about. I also came across an interesting story about a ghost who can control and predict hurricanes. Oh, cool. He's called the Gray Man of Polly's Island in South Carolina. One story about him states he was on his way traveling from Charleston on horseback to propose to his lady friend and met with a horrible tragedy when his horse became stuck in quicksand. Mm -mm. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Quicksand. Yeah. Is that the worst way to die? It's in my story too, Carol. Of course it is. God fucking damn it. Anyway. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. Getting I know. Ridiculous. It I feel like you guys scary. are pranking me. So you know what happens. He was unable to free himself of the horse and they both sank into the sand and suffocated. When the man did not arrive and news was heard of his unfortunate death, the lady was said to walk out on the beach every day in the evening hours grieving for her loss. One night, she encountered a man dressed in gray. He was watching the ocean from the shore, and when he turned to look at her, 
she recognized the man as the spirit of her departed true love. I like that. Yeah, it sounds like a gothic romance novel right now that I'm reading from. <laughs> Let's throw some ocean sounds in the background, maybe some seagulls. He gave her a warning that the island was not safe as a terrible storm would soon be approaching, and she and her family needed to leave immediately. The next day, her family left, and when the storm had passed through, they eventually came back to the island and was shocked at everything that was destroyed. Everything except their home which miraculously was still standing. It is said the people will spot the gray man before every major hurricane to hit the Carolinas. Wow. If you're lucky enough to encounter the ghost of the gray man, it is said he will save your home as long as you heed his warnings and get out of town. So he's a good ghost. He's a good ghost. But there are other theories that this ghost was a pirate named Edward Teach, known as, Josh, I know you know this. Uh, Bluebeard. Blackbeard. God damn it. <laughs> he almost got it. Uh, so close. He's, he he's got the, the word beard. <laughs> yeah, he's, of course I did. Of course he did. Um, and the reason why they think that is because people say when they see the gray man, he resembles Blackbeard. He has a long gray coat and very haggard appearance with a long beard. He looks Do, like a pirate. Does he have a parrot? No, he doesn't have a parrot. But he's not a real pirate. Fuck yeah, no. I think it's the lover guy. Probably. Mm -hmm. So romantic, but I go for those anyway. Does he have a hook for a hand? No. Fuck that. <laughs> there might be another storm phantom controlling the weather, though, and protecting New York coastline. Oh, okay. Not just the Carolinas. Okay. Because this story is pretty unbelievable. Back in 2001, Hurricane Aaron was a Category 3 hurricane, which on the morning of 9-11 was bearing down on New York City. It was reported as gaining strength and four days earlier was tracked on radar within 500 miles of the New York City coastline. Hurricane Aaron was slightly bigger in size and comparable to the speed of Hurricane Katrina and was heading in a straight trajectory to slam into the heart of New York City. But astonishingly, at 8 a.m., as the attacks were happening, the hurricane stalled and did an impossible feat of turning 150 degrees in a matter of minutes and moving back off into the ocean and dissolved. That's fucked up. That's f I didn't know that there was a hurricane I didn't either. Down. I didn't either. And if you go back and you look at the weather reports, um, about four days prior to 9-11, they were, they were talking nonstop about the storm forming and coming straight to New York City and all of that. And then the morning of 9-11... You look at the footage, it's clear skies. Yeah, there's beautiful blue it's sky. sunshine. It mm. makes me wonder how things would have turned out or how it would have affected things that morning if the hurricane had made landfall. If, they, if the hurricane had blown into town, those flights would have been grounded. They would have. Fuck. So someone was controlling the weather. Oh. Another conspiracy. Yikes. And here's, here's also a fact. The common turning of a hurricane has been known to be 40 to 90 degrees at most. There has never been a hurricane that could turn that sharp 150 degrees. That's really weird. I'm sorry, but that is really fucking weird. Or that fast. That's. Yeah. That most people weird. look back on events of that day and they just have wondered why there was little attention or warning given for that morning. Well, because of the bigger, larger story. Right. Nobody remembers that. 
Right. I sure didn't realize that was happening. Well, you know, it is said by modern day witches that there are ways to control the weather even now. And someday technology will help aid us in being able to prevent storms at our pleasure. There was a story that China, when they hosted the Olympics, set off several hundred rockets into the atmosphere to raise the barometer, which kept a storm from ruining the Olympic ceremonies. <laughs> That's cool. That's pretty cool. And some theorize we already have this weather technology because the United Nations have a declaration that no country is allowed to participate in weather manipulation or weather warfare. Huh. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? That means that they would have the technology to do it then. Or they're worried that it's coming in the future and they want to have this in place so that no country uses it. We should have a witch on sometime to talk about this stuff. At this point, guys, I need to apologize for my habit of whistling that I do. Sometimes, you know, I like to whistle. You do? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Well, I didn't I didn't know that the most common form of weather magic was whistling up a wind. Look what I just did. Oh my god, it's so windy in here all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's said the pitch and tone of the whistle can create either a gentle or a sharp gust of wind. Like, for example, if I do it really loudly and high. Yeah. Big gust. <laughs> And if I do it really low, now my just, a gentle, up above my just a gentle little breeze, which is really nice for, um, you know, a summer day. It can come in handy. But I do apologize because I didn't realize I, I was doing this. And also, also, I need to apologize for possibly creating rain because unbeknownst to me, filling up wine glasses with water or wine and then using them to play music by rubbing your finger around the rim <laughs> is also a form of weather magic. And I'm also guilty of doing this. I also blow occasionally across my cider bottle. You blow? Like this. And apparently, that's a big no-no. Tonight, I'm doing vengeful witches, bitches. Of course yep. you are. Stab yourself in, because here we go. Um, first of all, I just want to do a little caveat before I get started here that I am not talking about all witches. There are a lot of good people in the world who are witches. Um, they're white witches, and they they practice the religion of Wicca, or they follow the Wiccan belief system, and they're good, loving, peaceful people. So if you ever meet a witch, don't just assume it's a bad witch. You mean don't burn them? Don't burn them. Don't be mean. You never know. They're probably just like um, Wicca is just a um, religion that honors the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of witches do. They just honor things of the earth. Mm -hmm. So the witches I'm talking about tonight are not those witches. So just make sure. <laughs> I don't want to start any witch bashing in, in the world because I, okay. I'm not, I'm not, I like witches. There's just certain witches I'm going to talk about tonight that are a little bit cuckoo. But most, 99% of the witches out there I think are okay. I just want to make that mm -hmm. known. The okay. show is pro-witch. It's pro-witch. Yep. We're pro-witch. So my first story is the curious case of Christopher Case. In 1991, the Seattle police were asked to do a wellness check on one Christopher Case. His friends were worried about him because he wasn't answering his phone. So the cops go to his apartment and they knock on the door and there's no answer. So they go in and it's covered with crucifixes, candles mm -hmm. that are lit, 
lines of salt, and church music playing on the speakers. Oh, I thought you were going to say lines of something else. No, lines of salt. Okay. So they're wandering through his apartment going, where could Christopher Case be? And they go into his bathroom and they find him in his bathtub. He's got his head pressed against the wall and he's dead. This is interesting because, for one thing, the scene in his apartment is quite strange. Another, the medical examiner determines Christopher Case died of a heart attack, but he was only in his mid-30s. Wow. So his friends all say, nope, this was something else. It was a vengeful witch. What happened to Christopher Case was that he went on a business trip to San Francisco a couple weeks prior to his death. While he was there, he met a woman. She was a witch. And they got along really great. And they went out to dinner. They were kind of on a date. And she was totally into him. So she made a, a move on him. And he was like, you know what? I'm not that into you. I'm sorry. And was trying to be respectful about it. And she was like, I'm a witch. I'm going to put a curse on you. <laughs> you will be sorry and most likely dead within a week. <gasps> wow. So he shrugged it off and he went back to Seattle. That's not taking a letdown <clears throat> easy. No, sure isn't. So he went back to Seattle, and a few days later, he tells his friends that weird things are happening in his apartment. He hears whispers, and he sees shadows on the wall. But the worst thing is when he tries to sleep at night. He would wake up because he was being strangled to death in his sleep. He felt like there was a witch attacking him. And he said he would wake up with bloody cuts on his hands and fingers. He even oh. went as far as to go to a, witch, a witchcraft expert for help, but they did not help him. And on the day that he died, he called his friends and he said he did not believe he was going to survive the night and that he was probably going to die. And he did. Oh, wow. The next one is, Carol, you know the story well, The Witch of Lafayette, Oregon. I love this story, good story. so much. It's a good story. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it's actually, um, I was surprised to find out um, there's a, like an interesting backstory to it. So on November 1st, 1886, there was a deaf storekeeper named David Corker, and he was found dead in his bed. He had been hacked to death with an axe and his store had been robbed. The Yamhill County Sheriff, Thomas Harris, which strangely is the same name as the author who wrote the book Silence of the Lambs. Really? Um, yeah. Not the same guy, but oh. the same name. Okay. Um, he uh, brought in a man named Richard Marple for questioning. Marple denied having anything to do with the murder, but they found a bloody shirt or coat and a bloody piece of paper at his place, as well as tools that could have helped Marple break into Corker's residence. Marple had even told people all over town that it would be very easy to rob Corker as he was deaf. He also made it clear he had a lot of dislike for the man. Um, it was believed that Marple was a thief as the people of Lafayette did not like or trust him and he was new to town because he had just moved there from Corvallis a year before. Even though he denied having anything to do with the murder, he said some disparaging things about the deceased man. During his trial, he was full of contempt for the trial and made it obvious to everybody there. So, of course, Marple was tried and convicted for Corker's murder. On November 11th, 1887, Richard Marple hanged for David Corker's murder. His hanging was quite awful. The knot slipped under his chin, and it took 18 minutes for him to slowly strangle oh. to death. Oh, God. Awful. And as he slowly suffocated, his mother, Anna, screamed and cursed the town for doing this to her son. She swore a curse at the town that it would burn to the ground at least three times. 
da, 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 da. So the day after his death, Marple's cellmate came forward with the true story of what happened. His cellmate, his name was William Henry Hess, said that Marple had told him that his wife, Julia, was actually having an affair with Corker. Marple needed money, so he made a plan with Julia and his mother, Anna. His wife would fix Corker a drink with knockout drops in it. Once he <laughs> fell asleep, she would open the door for Marple to come in and to rob him. But Julia failed to unlock the door, so Marple had to break into the window with his tools. After robbing Corker, uh, the plan changed quickly to murder. Julia tried to hack Corker with an axe, but her aim was not too good. She clipped his head, which woke him up. A struggle ensued, and Marple needed to step in to finish off Corker. During the struggle, however, Corker screamed. Marple and Julia had planned to set his place ablaze to cover any evidence, but because they worried that witnesses had heard Corker screaming, they decided not to set the fire, and they left in a hurry instead. They then planned to leave town, but Julia became very sick and could not travel. That made it possible for authorities to arrest Marple after they had enough time to investigate and suspect his involvement. At the time of Marple's arrest, they also arrested his mother, but she was later released, and I never understood why that happened. Mm. Why they let her go. And it never was clear as to how she was involved, just that he had, he had planned it with his mother and his wife. She was an accomplice. She was an accomplice. She knew what was going on, I guess. So Hess wasn't even finished with Marple's jailhouse confession. He said Marple also told him that he, with three other men, had killed an old lady in Oregon City in 1879 and stole her money. He said that the old lady, Mrs. Hager, had been a savage fighter. So I'm just picturing this old lady, like, with her cane, get out of here, and beating him on the back. so sad. (laughs) They beat up an elderly woman. They murdered her with an axe. Yep. Um, But she nearly got away because she was such a savage fighter. But eventually they murdered her and... um, All these axe killings back then. I know. The axe was the weapon of choice, I I guess. So many just lying around. Everyone had an axe. Everyone did. Not everybody had guns, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, he actually took off with her money and he still had one of her rings. He and his accomplices had also robbed and killed a French woman in Portland. It is believed that woman was Emma... Merlotten, she was a French-born courtesan, and she too had been murdered via axe in 1885. After Marple's execution, Julia moved back to Corvallis and remarried. His mother, Anna, moved to Jackson County, Oregon, and passed away there at the age of 94. However, the curse that Anna bestowed upon the town of Lafayette definitely stuck around. The town has battled fires many, many times over the years. In 1895, the general store, a tin shop, doctor's office and grocery store burned down in 1897 the post office butcher shop drugstore and candy store burned down in 1898 the mill and elevator burned down the elevator had 5,000 bushels of wheat when it was destroyed by fire in 1904 a fire destroyed 16 buildings in the town in 1914 two arson fires ravaged the town wow and in 1928 and again in 1946 more fires swept through lafayette that's a lot of fires for one town to that go through. sounds like a witch curse. Sounds like a witch curse to me. So there you go. <clears throat> that is the witch, the vengeful witch of Lafayette, Oregon. So my next vengeful witch is the witch of Yazoo, Mississippi. Yazoo. Yazoo. As local legend has it, there is a witch's grave in the middle of Glenwood Cemetery in Yazoo City, Mississippi. The grave is surrounded by a link of chains. In the 1971 book, Good Old Boy, by Willie Morris, he recounts the story of the witch that supposedly lies in this grave. 
As the story goes, a woman lived along the Yazoo River. She lured fishermen into her home and then tortured and killed them. When the sheriff found the skulls of these men in her home, he chased her through the area swamps until she got stuck in quicksand. No. Yep, there it is. <laughs> I was tie. waiting yep. for you to have that. Yep, appear. quicksand. As she sank into the quicksand, she screamed revenge on the city. And I put in my notes, Wizard of Oz reference here. I'm going to get you, my pretty, you and your little dog. I'm melting, melting. She said, drowning, drowning, melting in quicksand. She said, in 20 years, I will return and burn this town to the ground. The sheriff shrugged this off. But then 20 years later to the day on May 25th, 1904, a young woman was getting ready for her wedding that was later that day. She accidentally started a fire in her kitchen, and though it would have been easy enough to put out, a very strange, supernaturally forceful wind picked up the fire and set the entire town ablaze. Okay, who was whistling? Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking that too when you were talking about the wind. (laughs) This fire destroyed 200 homes and every business in Yazoo. 324 buildings went down in total. Whoa, that's a big fire. That's a big fire. The witnesses said the wind was so fierce that it looked as if the fire just jumped through the air. Soon after the fire burned the town to the ground, some townspeople went to the witch's grave and found that the large chains that were circling the grave were broken. Therefore, they knew that the witch had broken through and delivered good on her curse. The witch's original gravestone only had the letters TW on it. A new tombstone was placed on the site that says... And you know how I love long, rambling tombstones. Um, This one says, according to local legend, on May 25th, 1904, the witch of Yazoo City broke out of these curious chain links surrounding her grave and burned down Yazoo City. Writer Willie Morris's classic good old boy brought national renown to this vengeful woman and her shameful deed. Good old boy being the name of his book. Since that new tombstone was placed upon the grave, it fell and split apart. The chains still surround the grave and are constantly breaking and in need of repair. The local legend says that when the chains are gone from the grave, the witch can return to seek more revenge on the city. Therefore, the city keeps the chains in repair. No one really knows who the witch is and who was buried there. The cemetery records burned in the 1904 fire. This is one of the eeriest facts of the story. Another interesting fact is that the weather reports for the area do not mention any high winds on May 25th, 1904. Whoa. Bum, 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 bum. So they weren't even prepared for these winds and they just whipped up out of nowhere. Right. But even historically, they didn't even register the winds being a thing. Wonder why. It's because that witch was whistling and it caused a fierce, thundery windstorm to pick up the fire. Yeah, they didn't want people to learn that... They could control the weather. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's interesting that the town of Yazoo keeps those chains in repair and making sure she can't. And nobody really knows because it was so long ago who's actually buried there, but they know someone's buried there. And the fact that the the people, when they buried this person, put chain links around her tells you that they were considerably freaked out by this person. Yeah. And and they're willing to invest money to keep it fixed uh, and yeah. bound yeah. with these chains. With those chains. 
And then after that, that fire took the town down, they go and her chains are broken. They're like, oh, shit, it's true. Like, it's just a weird story. It's, it's just great. super weird. It's yeah. so scary. It is scary. So my can, last. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. <clears throat> the TW on the gravestone, was yep. that that stood for the witch? It could have been the witch. That's, that was I one of the so. theories. That's so cool. That was one of the just theories. Just the witch. That's so great. Yeah. Ah, I love that. It's, oh, it's so Wizard of oz It totally is. Right? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, my last story isn't necessarily about a witch, but it does have a pretty massive um, vengefulness to it, and it also involves chains, which the last story did as well. And that's why I'm going to chain it onto the end of my story. <laughs> so I have one long unbroken chain of stories. All right. This is the story of Carl Pruitt. Carl was a man who in 1938 happened to come home to find his wife in bed with another man. In his rage, he wrapped a chain around her neck and strangled her Ooh, to death. Whoa. He then committed suicide. They were buried in separate cemeteries from each other, as his wife's family would not hear of it if they were buried in the same place. Soon after he was buried, people started to notice something quite strange forming on Pruitt's gravestone. A quote-unquote chain was starting to appear on his gravestone, forming in the shape of a cross. Whoa. Soon after it formed the shape of a cross, it stopped growing. A while later, some boys were riding their bikes in the cemetery. One of the boys threw some rocks at Pruitt's gravestone, chipping it in the process. When he jumped back onto his bike, the bike started to pick up speed. It went so fast that he could no longer control it. It slammed right into a tree. During the accident, the sprocket chain from the bike became loose and wrapped itself around the boy's neck, <gasps> strangling him to death. Okay, Ooh. that is so... Isn't that crazy? When the story of the boy's death spread across town, people went back to the gravestone to inspect the damage, but the gravestone was perfectly fine. That did not coincide, however, with the boy's friend's version of events. They said the tombstone had indeed received damage from the boy throwing rocks at it. This tombstone needs to be investigated. Sure does. Not long after the boy's death, his mother decided to get her own revenge on the tombstone of Carl Pruitt. She went to the cemetery with a small axe and hacked at the stone until it was cut into pieces. The next day, she was hanging her wash when the clothesline, which was made of a small linked <laughs> chain, became wrapped around her neck. She tried to get free, but she could not, and she also strangled to death. Once again, Pruitt's wow. gravestone was checked, and it was completely fine. This is a fucked up story. Surely. It's pretty cool. Sometime later, a farmer took a few shots at the tombstone with his gun. Chunks of the tombstone flew off. The farmer was on his wagon that was being pulled by horses. So when they heard the loud noises from the gun, they broke into a dead sprint. Soon the wagon was out of control. The farmer's family was able to jump off the wagon to safety, but the farmer tried to stop the wagon and the horses. However, in the process of trying to stop the wagon... He was thrown from it and his neck was caught by a trace chain oh. attached to the horses. And when they moved, it snapped his neck. Okay. I was totally thinking when you were telling that story, there's no chains on horses. Well, there's this thing called a trace chain. I'm not sure what that but is. But there is. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, upon immediate inspection, Pruitt's tombstone was perfectly fine. At this point, the locals all knew the tombstone was evil and to stay the fuck away. The stories became so rampant that a congressman asked two police officers to go to the cemetery to investigate. One of the officers thought the stories were ridiculous and made fun of the curse. They took some photos of the tombstone, but as they left, the officer who made fun of the curse kept looking in his rearview mirror as they drove away. 
He said he saw a bright light coming from the tombstone. The light started coming closer and closer to the car, oh. so the officer drove faster and faster. His partner told him to slow down, but it was too late. The car flew off the road and crashed. It rolled over several times. The officer on the passenger side was thrown out of the car. He was not hurt, but he found his partner dead. When the car crashed, it crashed between two posts, and you guessed it. A chain had been hanging between them and wrapped the cop's neck. No. <laughs> the force was so great, it nearly decapitated him. So do not make fun of Carl Pruitt. <laughs> I'm not even going to look at that tombstone. No, don't do it. After that death, people avoided the cemetery altogether, except for one man named Arthur Lewis. He also did not believe in the curse. He told his wife he was going to go to the graveyard and destroy the tombstone dummy so he went out there with his hammer and chisel and started to break the tombstone down people living around the cemetery could hear him at work and the sounds of the tombstone being shattered they also heard his screams when they came out to see what happened they found lewis dead there was a long chain wrapped around his neck it was the chain that was used to close the cemetery gates at night oh I was like, where is this random chain going to come from? Something had scared him so bad in the cemetery that he started running for the gates, forgetting that the chain was there. He ran right into it. Of course, the gravestone did not have a scratch on it, despite the fact that townspeople heard it being destroyed. Finally, after Lewis died, the bodies in the cemetery were removed and sent to new locations, but Pruitt's body and gravestone stayed right where it was. It became overgrown with grass and weeds, and in 1958, a strip mining operation destroyed what remained of it. The strange deaths were never explained. This happened in eastern Kentucky. Did anything happen to the company that destroyed? Not that was in my stories that I read. Wow. So there you go. That is the vengeful story of Carl Pruitt. That was so good. And even though he wasn't necessarily a witch, I think it counts for a vengeful witch's story, don't Mm -hmm. you? Yeah. So many people die by chains around their necks. It's amazing. No, it was definitely a powerful curse. Whatever he yes. did. Yes. Um, it really had power beyond really, the grave. It really did. So there you go. Vengeful witches. Don't mess with them. You'll be sorry if you do. That's right. Be careful who you're dating online. That's right. <laughs> That's right. God, we need to wear like hematite or something. The connection is like two there. So what do you re- what so am I thinking just, right now? Because you because ju- you just say <laughs> stop it. Get your mind out of the gutter, Holly. That's right, did Carol. You- <laughs> Amazing. She did composers not too I did long ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll do instruments too. Yeah. What instrument will I do? Because I don't know anything. The organ. <laughs> Her favorite instrument. This is fun. This is fun. Up that cloudy draw. Yippee ki Yippee Ghost riders in the sky. Yeah. It's. <clears throat> very funny to me how often the word balls <laughs> is <laughs> said on this show. And then it dropped its balls on its way out the fuselage. Right. Yeah. And it's the fuselage could be a reference for the penis. Yeah.
I have water in my little thermos. You want some? You could put some in your cup. Is it COVID? It's COVID. Yeah, there's COVID in it. <laughs> <laughs> Dyslexic witches untie. <laughs> I like that. I think. <laughs> That's good. Oh, dyslexic witches untie. Yeah. I can't whistle, so I cannot participate in creating a big windstorm. Could you, well, you, could also... you please try for the audience? <sighs> okay. I don't think you can. Oh, oh. she already has it. wind in yeah, her whistle. Yeah, that sounded like one of the effects. Ooh, amazing. Well, yeah. Does it matter what liquid you have in the the wine glass? Could I you think... put? <laughs> no, I think soup. The, it's got to be. It's like got to a... be wet, so that's the requirement, and it's got to be of Does a have have viscous nature to the fact that it can be slick, like a beef barley, so that you can, it can have <laughs> chunks in it. Okay. That's not all the witches in San Francisco. That's just that one in particular witch I'm talking about. You know who you oh, are. Oh. His hanging, though, was particularly... <laughs> I fuck up that word. His particularly. Hanging, I fucking hate that word. His hanging was particularly awful. Quite. Writer Willie Morris's classic good old boy brought renowned... Okay, I'll fuck it. I'll just start it over. <laughs> okay, Ready? Brady. Soon, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> just go for it, dude. What are you doing? Just do it. Just, just wham, bam, and get the hell out of there. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode <laughs>